what are you doing inside of your organization that would be compelling for the C-suite of your client base to really understand and get to know and use that as the tool. Hello and welcome. I'm Rob Levitt and you're listening to C-Suite Marketing, expert conversations on how to tackle one of the toughest challenges for B2B marketing, building trusted relationships with clients and prospects at the senior executive level. C-Suite Marketing is brought to you by Boardroom Insiders, a business intelligence platform that makes executive engagement easier than ever. Learn more at boardroominsiders.com. Learn more about this podcast at itsma.com. Check out today's show notes and other episodes of C-Suite Marketing. Now for today's show. I'm Rob Levitt, SVP for Consulting at ITSMA, and I'm here today with Jane Hiscock, president and founder of Farland Group and an old friend. Jane, welcome. Thanks for joining the conversation. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So first off, just tell us a little bit about Farland Group. Sure. So Farland Group is a consulting firm, and we specialize in helping B2B businesses develop stronger executive engagement programs. Uh, we do that through a variety of different ex- uh, executions, and we'll talk about those in, and how those have morphed, I'm sure, in a little bit. But um, at the core customer advisory boards, we also do um, C-suite qualitative types of research and executive engagement at um, more of an event level. Let's talk before. So before the pandemic, uh, you know, you've been at this for a really long time, done done great work. How would how would you have described some of the keys to success? Well, I think the core key to success before the pandemic, and it's still the same. T- I think <laughs> after the pandemic, or what I guess we're not after in the pandemic, yeah. is having a, f- a really foundational strategy that for executive engagement. So. You know why? Why are you doing this? Who are you trying to engage, and why are you trying to engage them? And what is it that you're trying to ultimately get to? And those types of foundational strategy questions, I don't think, have changed. I think those still remain critical. The amount of um, you know time that our clients maybe have to put toward those questions has changed. And but the um, that is the same. I think you know there are, are very foundational marketing principles all across marketing, not just in executive engagement, that remain the same even in a in a crisis. And in fact, in some ways, it is the time right now where we are counseling our clients to simplify, take the time to really make sure you have a strong strategy because the amount of distraction right now is so high. So for the most part, that part is the same. How we execute the work is dramatically different. Right. Well, let's start to talk about what's changed. You you wrote just yesterday, I think, we're recording this in late May, um, that advisory boards and executive networking is more important than ever now. Yeah, I think um, so. One of the things that we do in our process that you're familiar with, but just for the audience, is we um, do one on one interviews with 
C-level executives that are clients of our customer. Um, so IBM's a client of ours. We talk to their C-suite clients to help prepare them for whatever we're moving toward in an advisor board or other. And in talking with these C-level executives, CIOs, COOs, CMOs, CISOs, you, there are so many Cs, right. Um, right. they are desperate to have a peer group to bounce things off of right now. So they have a peer group within their own company, but they're looking for, are there ways, I, I really want to understand how everyone's going back right now. I'm an operations person. How many people are actually, you know, going back in this phased ways or that phased way? And so I think if you have the ability to convene C-level executives, right now is not the time to turn the network off. In fact, we find with our clients that have strong relationships there, we're actually amping it up, doing shorter duration things, but doing more of them. And, you know, I think those types of, um, you know, those types of discussions that are very present in their minds right now are important. Um, and they certainly may not drive toward your product, you know, or your right. service, right. but they bring a halo effect to you for convening these people to talk through the difficult, the difficult questions. Right. No, and you know, we at ITSMA, we do a lot of research on on why yeah. and how executives engage. And certainly that peer networking always rises up. You know, one of the most important reasons why, uh, right, as you say, your clients, customers uh, want to get together. But so much of that is face to face. Yeah. You know, so that's an obvious, huge change. So how are you dealing with that, with some of the work you're doing, some of your clients, you know, switching to virtual? Yeah, I think this is, you know, if you and I are at an ITSMA conference sitting and having lunch and someone sits down with us who we don't know and we get into a discussion and suddenly that person becomes a really valuable friend or mm -hmm. colleague to mm -hmm. us over time. Those kinds of environments, we haven't figured out how to mimic mm -hmm. them in a digital world. I think that will come eventually, maybe. We figure that out with different technology, but right now I would say that the way we find the most success in that sort of networking, peer-to-peer, in-the-hallway kind of discussion um, difficult. It's difficult in education, right? It's hard for kids right. to mimic the schoolyard. It's hard for for us to create the water cooler in our companies. It's that culture. How do you build that yeah. uh, networking culture? I would say what we have found successful is we have um, several boards that have been together for many years. And in that case, it's much easier. And so we've found that that group really wants to get together more and they want to have some discuss, they want to put forward discussion topics for them, but there's a lot of trust in that group. I was just gonna say, there's already trust in place. Yeah. And that's you know one of the toughest things to build at the executive level is that kind of trust, both with you as a vendor mm -hmm. uh, and with peers, I think. Yeah, definitely. And so I, I guess my advice would be yeah. not to have that be your goal right now, because I think it'll come off as being manufactured. Um, you know, I, yeah. and 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 I guess my other advice would be if you figured it out, send a note to everybody. But it's, <laughs> right. oh, yeah, it's really absolutely. It's tough to absolutely. Um, 
trust. It, it's it that is a tough thing when you don't have trust. It would be like, um, I guess these apps right now, like house party where you can drop in with your friends and watch something or play a game and apparently you can drop in on random houses well i don't see executives ever doing that you know that's something that the digitally born um 20 somethings maybe do but there maybe is something like that in the future where linkedin figures out a way to informally connect people that are peers and there's some tools to help with that i don't know but we don't have them today to my knowledge right well i you know most likely it'll be an analog to you know you work especially with advisory boards you build a trusted group and you slowly add people right right you have some whether it's a rotation policy or you're just trying to expand it you know you're very careful about who's the next person in right Um, and they have a shared you know they have a a shared desire to connect with each other and to connect and to really influence their the our client or the their vendor so they they come with a set of shared principles and there's sort of some rules of engagement that help to structure it. I do think structure helps. Um, right. Well, in these there, is, there is something about the speed too. As you said, you can do more shorter kinds of sessions. And yeah. I mean, you know, again, you know well how much work it takes to organize an in-person meeting with 10 or 15 incredibly busy executives from around the world. Yeah, I would say one of the advantages of advisory boards, and we've found that we've had uptick in our um, interest right now. One of the advantages, if you can port it easily to digital, which we've been able to do, I don't, you know, the question of how of longevity is a is a secondary one that we can talk through. But I think the advantage is that it is a small group. It's a natural peer group. It it has a set an organizing principle um, and people are coming to do something. I think executives want to contribute. They want to have purpose in the time they're spending. And it is hard to manufacture or create an event that always brings that. And I think advisory boards are lucky in that way that they do give purpose that you can translate into this kind of environment where I can advise you on a particular service, I leave feeling like, okay, well, I offered some good advice, you leave hopefully feeling like you had advice. So those principles, I think, translate still well to digital. But one of the execution things we've really shifted is our meetings are much shorter, Mm. um, much crisper, and the facilitation takes a lot of time. I spend a lot of time with the presenters, but I also spend a fair amount of time with each individual board member. Mm. A lot is, you know, a couple of 30 minute discussions, but that's a lot in people's calendars to make sure that they're prepared and they're clear on what is it that we're trying to achieve with this hour or hour and a half that we have together. No, I I think that's a great point and and issue for all of us to, to think about more is but or two two things you mentioned the preparation and the facilitation you know when you're asking incredibly busy executives to come for a day or a half a day of course you want some pre-work or preparation but you really don't want to add a whole lot of burden on top of that right 
right? And the facilitation, you know, you're making eye contact. You can see, you can read the room, you can, you know, and so both of those things, I think, as you said, you can't do a half a day or a day online. No, if you, I wouldn't advise that. Yeah, so you need these shorter sessions. You want, and again, as you say, you want to be super productive in multiple ways. And so more preparation. Uh, so I want to ask you about how you do that a little bit, but then and then maybe come back to this virtual facilitation. Yeah. So how I do the preparation is I I spend a fair amount of time in either environment, whether it's in person or virtual yeah. with with the subject matter experts that are going to be sharing the th the topic that they're looking for advice on. So in that case, it's making sure that the content is really clear and crisp and the questions that you're asking for advice around are also clear and not high level. Mm -hmm. um, so all of us ask the, how, how is that differentiated? What's the value proposition that you see and experience? You know, these kinds of questions, but in the short environment, virtual environment, we try to spend time with the presenter to understand really what is the question around differentiation. Mm -hmm. So it's quite, it's quite pointed and therefore people really know what you're asking because in, in-person discussions, you can ask high-level questions and sort of rotate your way to the specific. Right. But in virtual sessions, you don't want to have a lot of empty blank air. And so you want the executives to come really with a point of view. And I also prepare one or two of them. I'm going to turn to you first. Not to yeah. manufacture every the entire thing, because that's not the point. But usually people play off of people. And again, in person, you can tell, like you said, from body language, oh, right. Rob looks like he's got something to say, even though he's not saying anything, I'll call on Rob. You right. don't have that advantage in this sort of one-dimensional 15 Brady Bunch squares. <laughs> exactly. Well, so tell me a little bit more about the facilitation skills, the, you know, the live facilitation when you can't read the room and everybody is in a little Brady Bunch square. Yeah, so I think the, the key for the facilitation, and this is hard um, for vendors, I think, of like our clients to do for themselves, but you have to cut off the presenter every two minutes to two and a half minutes. They mm. have to stop talking. It's a long time to listen to someone. And I apologize to people listening to me right now for <laughs> 30, whatever. But it is a long, stopwatch, Jane, <laughs> it's a long time to listen to subject matter experts talk yeah. about something. Um, and people get lost and they're distracted. They're sitting in front of a screen. They have a natural distraction. And you can't tell whether they're right. looking at you or doing something else. So right. I, the first rule is I am very clear with the presenters. I'm going to interrupt you every one and a half to two minutes. So make sure your content, that your slides sort of allow for that. Yeah. And I'm going to call, call out to the, the group about this specific set of questions. Then tools wise, we've been experimenting with different things. So um, we've been experimenting with text using murals, um, which is a, an app that design thinking oh, yeah. um, groups use, where yeah. you can write onto post-it notes and then mm -hmm. take breaks and look at those and analyze those. It depends on the level of executive as to how many tools 
you should use, in my opinion. You know, when we're dealing with really senior C level people, they want to talk. They don't really want to type, is our experience so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're happy to share what they want you to put on the post-it note, but they're like not really going to be typing into the post-it note kind of thing. Yeah. So I do think you have to be really aware of your audience like anything as to how many types of tools and mechanisms you use. I I find with really senior people that stopping and summarizing things, input every six to 10 minutes. Okay, this is what we've heard so far. Is that what Mm -hmm. you're saying? Can you validate for me or tell me what we're missing? You know, that sort of thing, which you're doing kind of with the post-it notes and other tools, but with, Um, you know, I think it's really important either to use some sort of digital mechanism or oral mechanism to to test that you're actually getting through because the purpose at the end is that you're actually connecting with your audience. Right, right, right. All right, let me pull back a little bit. One of the things you mentioned a few minutes ago was about who to target. Yeah. And the scale of disruption now is obviously enormous, but it's affecting industries, regions, individual accounts very, very differently. Yeah. So, and and that's going to be for quite a while. Yep. So how might that affect how we think about some of these programs, whether it's advisory boards or other kinds of executive engagement programs? Yeah, so I think if you if you have the luxury of of having many industries that you're servicing, mm-hmm. finding using things that are cross industry is helpful because even those that are in industries that are lagging, like airlines, right. um, and we have several airlines that are on some of the boards that we run, you, they still they want to be in these discussions more mm-hmm. than ever, right? Mm-hmm. So I think. Some of um, the work that needs to be done is if you have the luxury of being cross industry is to look at how to create a mix that ensures that you've got people that are, you know, Amazon like and can't keep enough stuff on the shelf and and people who are suffering through a different, a completely opposite Um, because they can learn from each other quite effectively because in the end, they probably have a they have a customer base inside of each other each other's experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think there is a lot to be said about, we are at the beginning of this, I think. And we, we as humans are incredibly resilient and we change, you know, suddenly we're doing this and we maybe would have been doing something very different if we were talking on this day, if this didn't happen. So we're incredibly resilient, but we're not very patient. And I think we're all trying to find the, how do we get, how is this all going to go back to what it was? Well, we, I think we know, we know intellectually it's never going back to the way it was. Mm-hmm. And yet we still are holding on to that. And I think it's important for us as marketers to recognize that we're at the beginning of a crisis. And so while you may be servicing and serving an industry that is really failing right now, there is going to be a way out of it. And the last thing you should be doing is not talking to the C-suite, the executive mm-hmm. level, whether it's C-suite or director, whatever, however you define executive for your company. 
um, you know, it is in critically important now that you open the lines of communication and not mm -hmm. go quiet. I think that is a big mistake in crisis that, you know, hopefully we've, we've all learned, but I think it is natural to think, I don't want to bother them. Right. Um, you know, and, and part of it, I, I think, you know, again, ITSMA research, when we talk about what are some of the motivations of the executives to engage with us, with our clients, you know, that, that are running these advisory boards and so on. Some of it's the peer networking, as yeah. we've talked about. Some of it is just learning, you know, from you as a, an expert provider of services or solutions. Some of it is absolutely to influence you, yeah. right? influence the direction. Some of it is to have a platform for themselves. Correct. You know, professional development, career development, prominence, yep. you know, whatever it is. And so, uh, you know, I think part of the challenge for all of us going forward is how do we meet and respond to those different needs with, at least in the near term, a narrower set of activities that we can organize? You know, so we talked about peer networking. I mean, certainly the one-on-one -on -one in terms of learning from you as a provider, that's probably the easiest. So I do think it's important to look at that mix of things. Yeah. And uh, the challenge is, you know, how do you do it at scale? Because I think you can create a custom set of things for 20 to 30, maybe 50, right? But once you hit a certain level of scale, if you're wanting to get at this at scale, I think it starts to get quite challenging um, with the C level with C level executives because you're not having these, you know, let's invite 400 to blah 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 event that they can right. maybe only drop in for the dinner in the evening and the meeting with your CEO, but you, you're not having that kind of right thing happen now. So I think, you know, there are some things like what you're doing right here that can, you can do to touch upon that audience, but get getting engagement is is tough. You know, these are these are engagement at scale at the C-suite right now, I think is is tough. Um, well, I, was, I was thinking of the analogy, um, you know, we talked a couple minutes ago about when you have that advisory board already with a lot of trust, you know, that's the easiest to kind of mm -hmm. morph a little bit and keep going. The broader analogy, I think, with a lot of companies in the first phase of this pandemic is focus on existing customers, focus on your most important customers. We'll worry about prospects later. Right. You know, so I think with executive engagement, there is that same sense. It's like, okay, well, let's make sure we take care of and, and create interesting engagement activities and, and, and processes for the high end, then maybe we go to a second tier, you know, and then at some point we'll get back to process, you know, the, the 2000 senior executives on our list of target accounts that we have no relationship with now. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I do think there is like a lot to be said about the account-based marketing programs that you guys do and, mm -hmm. and that sort of, um, set of principles that you can do now to set yourself up for. So it is a good time to look at, you know, 
why do you want to do this? Why do you want to engage the C-suite of your buyers, your customers? Do you have those relationships? And if the answer to that question is no, and the answer to why don't you is because we just haven't done, figured out how to do this well. I mean, part of the challenge, the reason that why people don't have C-level engagement is that they're not doing a programmatic approach to engaging Mm -hmm. at their customers throughout the life cycle. And I think account-based marketing principles and some of those things really, this is a good time to get your teams to a place where when things start to open up a little more and you could actually bring together 10 C-level executives that you don't know for a prospective kind of, you know, evening or whatever it ends up being tactically, you actually can do that. Because I will say there's a lot of, clients or prospective customers that come to Farland Group. And when I ask a few questions, they're actually, they don't have a C-level set of relationships. And a lot of that relationship development can start now with account-based marketing types of programs and other programs that help you to figure out what are some of the principles that you need to put in place so that, because that is always going to be true. Uh, No, absolutely. and Not to give you a plug, but no, no, thank you. And we certainly are encouraging, um, you know, our ITSMA members and clients that this is the time to kind of double down on account-based marketing. We'll be back after a very quick break. Enjoying the podcast? Want to learn more about C-suite marketing? Send us a comment and we'll add you to a drawing to win a copy of my colleague Bev Burgess's book, Executive Engagement Strategies, How to Have Conversations and Develop Relationships That Build B2B Business. Okay, now back to the show. You and I touched on this in an earlier conversation. It's part of this back to basics. Yeah. You, know, you said at the beginning, some things don't change. You know, what's the strategy? What are we trying to accomplish? Who are we trying to reach? What's the goal? Yeah. And, you know, I think when, when times are good, it's easy to be a little bit lax with some of those core questions. Definitely. Yeah, right? I agree. You know, so I, we see, I'm sure you see it too. You know, there's executive engagement programs out there that are, that are loosely defined and it's a little bit even of check the box. Uh, Of course we should do this. So let's run a slew of events. And yeah. And I think in good times you can get away with that. Right. Um, In bad times uh, or difficult times, people where budgets are being cut for those C level people as well. Right. You're the people you're trying and time is tighter and then, you know, who would have figured you can't travel places, you know, so those sorts of things that we got away with before we can't get away with. Now, I have this analogy that I love of a transistor radio where, you know, if you there's frequency and volume. And if you get the frequency right, you can turn up the volume and really hit at 100. But if you don't have the frequency right, you turn up the volume, you're getting static. And in a good time, you know, maybe you can pull some nuggets out of that static and say, I had a C-suite program or I had an executive engagement program because you can pull nuggets. But in bad times, it's just a lot of static. You know, if you don't get that foundational 
frequency right, then there's no point in throwing money against it. So I do think principles matter a lot right now. No, I, I like that. And fortunately, I'm old enough to get the... I know. I suddenly realized, mm, I guess I'm aging myself, but it's all right. <laughs> Somebody knows what that I is out there. Little, I used to have one. <laughs> I don't think I have one either, but... <laughs> a couple more questions if you... Uh, yeah, sure. It's here. Um, I'm curious about content. Mm -hmm. uh, content is often the fuel of these kinds of programs. And given, again, kind of the scale of disruption and the diversity of disruption, if that makes sense. Right. Um, you know, there's a whole lot of rethinking of content and reframing. Um, and that's a, you know, that's already a challenge, especially at the C-suite level to create compelling, relevant content. Now, do we need to go back to the drawing board a little bit? Yeah, actually, I think we do. I, and, um, and I don't have an answer, but I'm actually looking at that for Farland Group as well. We interview mm -hmm tons of um, C-level executives and I'm looking at how do how do we get this content needs to pop more than ever. Right. There's so much noise out there. Yeah. And even though we are on digital channels constantly, I think you know people are distracted and also um, just sort of in a frantic a little bit. Right. So because they want it, right? I mean, that's the thing there. As you said, it's, you know, the executives we're trying to reach, they're like omnivorous. I mean, they want to mm -hmm. talk to their peers. They want to read what's new that, you know, they're, you know, almost desperately trying to keep up and get ideas and examples and advice and guidance. But there is so much noise out there. There is. And I think, I think it's important to you know spend time looking at that for your clients because most of your clients are generating huge amounts of content and and very good content but the you know if you're doing a research study how do you get that in front of people in different ways like I actually think podcasts and things like that people are consuming a little bit more but it, there's a lot of noise even in that channel so it's um you know, it's it is a oh well, it's an age-old challenging question, but I it think is. it's even more challenging now. Um, yeah. And I I think that um, people do want to consume, but they don't want to read for very long. Mm. <laughs> so that's another challenge, right? right. Well, so, we're, all, we're all taking these long walks, right? So podcasts are right. that. <laughs> Yeah, I think like, that's how I consume them. But then lots right. of people have said, well, I don't commute anymore, so I don't listen to podcasts as right. much, right? So there, there are things are changing in the content consumption world, I would mm. say, for sure. Um, I do think like the New York Times does some really good work on on putting using graphics and things yeah. like that to help these these data points stick and and simplicity and less is more i think on some of this um you know getting someone who's really good at making the nuggets pop yeah. out and be memorable well no and, and one of the funny small side points around content is we've spent the last 10 years focusing on mobile Right. Everybody's looking at a really big monitor again. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. It's great for graphic designers now. Exactly. They can they can really for graphics. Uh... <laughs> That's a good point. Oh, yeah, I point. haven't cracked the content nut. I would say yeah. 
um, that it, it, it could use a lot more attention for sure. Okay. Let me ask you a last question. We've got just a couple minutes left here. Um, the orchestration question. Mm -hmm. if you're an agency or a consulting firm. You're working with big global marketing organizations. You're working on certain programs. They're typically running dozens of other programs and sales and so on, connecting with the same executives. You know, yeah. from your perspective, how do you think about this? The, the time and the relationship is so precious with these C-suite executives that you want to have a coordinated, consistent, high quality approach across all of these connection points. How do you think about that orchestration challenge? Yeah, it, I think it, it really depends on the, on the company. So some companies have so many um, different complexity of a company like IBM. I mean, they have so yeah. and a lot of your client companies, yeah. right? They have so yeah. many different services and products and things that are going that are yeah. potentially target to can be targeted at that audience. Where I've seen it done well is with companies that have um, taken a thoughtful approach to the actual points of engagement and creating a set of roles um, for the client account team that are very clear and that that client account team takes seriously so that they're not overwhelming the system and also so that they're not the client account team is not inviting these people to every single you know thing that is potentially there for because what happens is they say no to everything i mean throwing more at an executive is not going to work um and so you know, in particular at that top layer of your of your client base to yeah. have a very coordinated path for that well and that can be and off and should be using digital tools to ensure that that's happening that's what i was going to say i mean maybe this is a bright light for this new environment that we're in is if everything is digital in some way mm -hmm. it actually may be easier to coordinate yeah and track i, I think in in theory that should be true right. <laughs> uh i i do think it it, it the com more complex the organization, the more complex Absolutely. Um, the no amount of communication going back and forth to customers, um, the executive level gets caught in that. I will say it's the number one complaint that we hear from the C-suite is, yeah. um, and for across our entire client base is, you know, can this be more coordinated? Can, right. can they find a way to talk to me like I'm, you know, an individual that they know. And I think that's for marketers, that's our challenge is how do we ensure at scale that we are still treating the client as a client and an individual and that we actually know that they were invited to 18 parties this week that they right. don't want to be invited to or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, right. a, it's a difficult one, but I think, I do think digital is hopeful. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a, um, another wave of development for all of us um, because the flip side is it's so much easier to just ping somebody yeah true yeah and, and, you know and one of the positives and and you know maybe maybe let's end on a positive note right it's um 
it is easier in a lot of ways to convene online. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, you know, I was just having this conversation with, uh, you know, one of our shared clients about um, it used to be if you wanted to get even three or four people together to organize that and calendar it and figure out where and when exactly and travel, you know, huge effort. Now it's like, oh, hey, I got a half an hour. You know, let's jump on Zoom, Teams, Skype, WebEx, you know, whatever. Um, so yeah. Dangerous opportunity, but I think an op a real opportunity. Yeah, I agree. And I also think the need for these things to be super buttoned down. Yeah. Um, people have huge capacity for, you know, the dog walking over the, you know, in front of the screen or whatever ends up happening. And right. Right. I, I remember that being a barrier as well. Perfection was, you know, the barrier for getting anybody, any executive to agree to do a video thing. Right? Right. Well, no, it's so funny. I mean, it's not that long ago where I, you know, I know with advisory board type meetings is it would be telephone only. Yeah, right? that's right. You yeah. You couldn't get them on camera. So now, yeah. Yeah. And now that it's happening and it, everywhere, it's so it, I think this crisis for digital is really yeah. um, it's done more for adoption than than we could have done on our own. And, you know, I one of my um, clients said we've lived three years and three months as far as digital right. adoption. And it's true. It's uh, and that's a benefit and something for marketers to definitely take advantage of. That's great. All right. Uh, I'm going to let you go in a second. Any last thoughts? I would say don't forget your fundamentals. Have a strategy and really make sure your strategy is sound. That's my um, number one. And then number two, they say a crisis is not something to waste. And so take a look at what are you doing inside of your organization that would be compelling for the C-suite of your client base to really understand and get to know and use that as the tool. Um, I think there's there's lots of opportunity out there for sure. Excellent, Jane, thank you so much. Uh, Jane Hiscock, Farland Group, check them out online. Um, really appreciate the conversation. Again, I'm Rob Levitt with HSMA. Thank you all and take care. Thanks for listening to C-Suite Marketing. I hope you got at least a few new ideas. Let us know what you think and send along any questions or suggestions for upcoming episodes. And if you really enjoyed the show, do us a favor and tell two friends. Do us another favor and check out our sponsor, Boardroom Insiders, a business intelligence platform that makes executive engagement easier than ever. Boardroom Insiders helps you close bigger deals faster. Learn more at boardroominsiders.com. And don't forget to visit us at itsma.com for more on this podcast and more insight and inspiration on executive engagement, account-based marketing, thought leadership, and other B2B marketing priorities. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.